Hey friend, thanks so much for stopping by for some community time around the fire pit. I've got some Tennessee white oak going. I'm going to run inside and get us both a cup of joe. Well, you're listening to Quad Dot Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, you've got it, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Well, I just realized that episode 220 had a little glitch at the beginning of the episode, but I apologize for that. I've made corrections and uploaded the corrected version, but it lets you know it's not that easy editing a podcast and getting out all the imperfections so that the thoughts flow properly and are not disruptive to you. But anyway, this is season 10, episode 221, title, What Would Jesus Do? And I know that's a cliche, but I tell you what, it's a really great question that we need to ask and answer today. What would Jesus do? Subtitle, Real Living in These Hard Times. In the past few podcasts, I've been calling for the appearance of some sort of movement back away from the edge of the abyss of destruction that our nation and the world teeters upon. Without it, we're doomed to survival in the present state in which we exist. I was wrong in not recognizing some unusual judicial decisions in our nation that have been shocking and unexpected. Some of these actions are clearly divine in nature, unexpected by anyone. They are hints at the reversal for our nation that's possible if we'll only turn back to God. I am astounded at some of the people from my past who hold to positions that are absolutely unthinkable. The political positions in our nation really are falling along the lines of those who side with Jesus and those who don't. The world hates Jesus with a passion. He told us it would be that way, and I've mentioned this several times before, but we have to keep in mind that they hated him. They're going to hate us. Carrying the torch for the Bible-believing Christians is the most unlikely candidate, a university professor named Jordan Peterson. Jordan is knowledgeable about the Christian Bible and in the past has taught many university courses using the Bible as the text. And it seems that he accepts most of what he reads, but in the end, he shows doubts about a truly all-in mindset when it comes to Christianity, or that Jesus Christ is really real, or that the Bible stories are history and not myth or legend or allegory, and that the historical death, burial, and resurrection, the bodily resurrection from Jesus from the dead, is actually fact. But there he sits, taking the beating for all the silent Christian pastors. It's strange, really. So, with a few small events that carry vast ramifications, a deeply divided nation, and the swallowing up of all of our past abilities and successes and shortages, hyperinflation, and the rogue behavior of all the political parties, I ask this question, and as I said, it's a cliche now, but it really is a great question that demands an answer. What would Jesus do? How do we move forward with real living, the robust divine life I've been talking about, in these hard times? Friend, perhaps you personally are not experiencing much discomfort and inconvenience at this moment, but there absolutely are documented millions upon millions of people in our nation whose lives have been decimated. Crime really is up in a major way. Suicides really are through the roof in a major way. Alcohol and drug addiction are rampant and increasingly becoming a sanctioned right by the government. Friend, no telling how many states will legalize pot this coming election. The number jumped 50% in the last election less than two years ago. 
As I talk about a pathway forward, it's not without the remembrance of all these in our nation who are suffering in major ways. In Isaiah 40, focusing on the final verse in 31, it tells us to wait on the Lord. And friend, in this, we see the roadmap unlocked, the roadmap forward. The word wait means wait. It's straightforward in its meaning. So in and of itself, it gives us no real background as to what it means by waiting. But if you look back, starting at the beginning of chapter 40 and read it, you find out that the waiting is in context and juxtaposition to God declaring that the judgment is over and that the time of flourishing is coming. The people of Israel, of course, having a sense of abandonment and lack of hope that the future could look any different because of the decimation they experienced at the chastening hand of God, God goes on to say that He knows what the world weighs and that all of the leaders and all of the people that can have an impact on the nation of Israel are meaningless before Him and that they're nothing. This intersects the question for us of how should we then live? How can we go forward? What would Jesus do in light of all the insanities that are being poured forth upon us as citizens of a wayward country? I've come to the conclusion that we continue to live in the same way that we always have. Jesus himself was born into a land that was under deep oppression by a dominating, domineering foreign power who was in diametric opposition to the belief structure contained within the religion of Israel in Judaism. But life went on as usual. Christ went to the synagogue. Christ went to a wedding. Christ went to a funeral. Christ visited people in the home who were sick. Christ fed the 5,000. Christ went into the wilderness to pray and be tempted of the devil. Christ spent time with his friends in the garden, with the 15-story temple looming just beyond the city wall. Christ went up into the mountains late at night to pray. Christ went to a tax collector's house to eat. Christ lived his earthly life straightforward in every way, even though that through the intricacies of daily living, he was marching methodically toward his sacrificial death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It is important that during this prolonged time of great trials to humanity that has come to our nation and our planet, that we keep our head about us, especially for those of us who have children and grandchildren. Regardless of our cultural background or context, for those of us who have a heart of care and concern regarding what we see happening in our nation, I have this to say. First of all, we need to continue to live our lives with hope that Christ is going to rescue. Second, we need to live our lives in deeper devotion to Him in order to see the power of the Holy Spirit flow through us to those around us and hopefully to the nation as a whole. Third, we also need to live a life of expectancy that God can overpower those who are intent on doing wrong and harm, regardless of how powerful they may seem at the moment. God makes it clear in Isaiah chapter 40 that all the rulers of the world are nothing to Him. So therefore, fourthly, we need to keep in context that God is the one who's in control. He is the one who is calling the shots. He is the one who sends nations into judgment and brings nations out of judgment, and so everything rises and falls with Him. So therefore, as we focus our attention on Christ, and as we talk about waiting on the Lord, we're not talking about in idleness or lack of movement, because we know that is against the teachings of the New Testament. But the waiting here has to do with guarding our mental attitude that can go into hopelessness based on past experiences or what we're presently experiencing. The wait is in context with the promises of God 
and what he has said he would do. So to have confidence in him and that he will act in his time according to his perfect will and plan, and that in the end, those of us who trust in him will be really redeemed. The waiting here in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 is in context with the promises of God and what he has said he would do. So to have confidence in him and that he will act in his time according to his perfect will and plan, and that in the end, those of us who trust in him will be redeemed. We will be rescued. We will be saved. And that's all that matters. So therefore, it's not really a mystery as to how we should conduct our lives in such terrible times. We should not retreat and go into isolation and hiding. We should live our lives to the fullest that we possibly can in the context in which we find ourselves. We see Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 after being beaten severely by an angry mob, thrown in jail with their feet cuffed in stocks. In verse 25, it says about midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Though they were wrongfully jailed and held as common criminals, they rejoiced in the Lord and saw the handiwork of God at work in their midst, even in the midst of that terrible time of imprisonment. Or in Acts chapter 12, we see the Apostle Peter being held in prison asleep the night before he was to go on trial before Herod, bound with two chains between two soldiers, then experiencing the deliverance of Almighty God by an angel escort. So we see the examples by the Lord and those who have gone before us, living in hard circumstances, living their lives with the gusto we talked about in the last podcast. We see that nothing is too hard for God. He will fulfill His promises, and we need to trust Him to do so. By faith, we need to exercise our wills to be faithful. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, he told the children of Israel as they prepared to enter the promised land to serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people of Israel had a decision to make. They had a decision of the will to make. Oswald Chambers in his July 8th devotion says, A person's will is embodied in the actions of the whole person. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it, putting it into action. I must will to obey and I must will to receive God's Spirit. In receiving God's Spirit, he's not talking about a second act of salvation. He's talking about the will to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. When God gives me a vision of truth, there's never a question of what He would do, but only of what I will do. The Lord has been placing in front of each of us some big proposals and plans. The best thing to do is to remember what you did before when you were touched by God. Recall the moment when you were saved or first recognized Jesus or realized some truth. It was easy then to you in your allegiance to God. Immediately recall those moments each time the Spirit of God brings some new proposal your way. Joshua said immediately. Joshua said, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Your choice must be a deliberate determination. It is not something into which you automatically drift and everything else in your life will be held in temporary suspension until you make a decision. Then Chambers uses that word again, the proposal. He says, the proposal is between you and God. Do not confer with flesh and blood about it. 
The word proposal used by Chambers several times in this one short devotion caught my eye. What an interesting and yet profound vantage point that our daily living amounts to a series of proposals that God places before us, and we have to choose what we will do. Yes, God's Holy Bible is filled with clear-cut commands that are commands and not suggestions, but in reality, God gives us the choice to line up our will with His and follow Him, or go another way. To move forward in faith and keep on living the robust life will produce isolation and distance between yourself and those who don't follow God. It's painful, but it's okay. Musician and songwriter David Leonard recorded a great song, While I'm Waiting. I will include a YouTube link in the show notes. I highly encourage you to click on the link and listen to it. It will lift up your soul and your spirit. By all appearances to me, David Leonard based his song out of Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to what he says. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on you, Lord. And I'm hopeful. I'm waiting on you, Lord, though it's painful, but patiently I will wait. And I will move ahead bold and confident, taking every step in obedience. While I'm waiting, I will serve you. While I'm waiting, I will worship. While I'm waiting, I will not faint. I'll be running the race even while I wait. In the second verse, he affirms that he is not only hopeful, but he is peaceful. Listen to what Isaiah chapter 40 says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, Cry out. Another said, What should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? 
A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. In J. Alec Motyer's commentary on the prophecy of Isaiah, he writes this, The solution to our problem, that feeling expressed in our soul that questions, God, how can you do this to me? And the exclamation, he no longer remembers me or cares, that both expressions reveal our sense of being overcome by circumstances. Friend, is that not where we are? That this sense of, God, how can you do this to me? Or, God, you no longer remember me or care about me. But both of these attitudes and expressions come from an attitude of feeling overcome by circumstances. And the solution is to relearn what we already know and to open our ears to what we have already been told. As the people of God, we already possess the truth, and it has come to us from outside. Our God is such, He's eternal, creator, and untiring, that we need never doubt his capacity. He is also such, that of possessing unfathomable wisdom, that we must never expect to understand all his ways. The wrong inference to God's transcendent is that he is too great to care. The right one is that he is too great to fail. As literally a God of eternity, we are reminded he does not change. As creator, he has all the glories, attributes, and powers that are mentioned in the first half of Isaiah chapter 40. As not growing tired or weary, he never has to abandon his purposes as unrealizable or postpone them while he rests. God's work is on an everlasting, worldwide, and ceaseless level, and we cannot fathom his understanding. His ways belong to eternity. We belong to time. His vision is for the world. We are local. His ceaselessness keeps him always ahead of the point we have reached. Sharing strength to us as his followers is not an occasional thing. It is part of what he does. Life shows that merely natural resources fail, but a different experience is possible. The hope that comes arises from the supernatural strength of God that is accessed through waiting and resting, patiently trusting in the promise of a renewed strength and different strength that the natural person does not know. The natural person is not like God, but for the believer, 
as the unwearying and unfainting strength of the divine life enters us, we find inner resources that do not fail before life demands. We never become faint or weary. There is no limit to our understanding. Why? Because it all flows from the omnipotent, omniscient God of eternity. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace. Peace.